be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Show mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. <laughs> but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raha, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over the judge, the judge may hand you over the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. Hmm? But I tell you, do not swear at all. Either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you or take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? <laughs> Are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. privilege to be with you guys um, here, I think I am one, um, this morning. Um, it really is. And what a great time of worship as well. I, um, I come from City Church, which is down the road in Canterbury, which is in the same family of churches um, as you guys. And more often than not, I'm normally doing the worship stuff rather than preaching. So it's quite funny. My watch has now fallen down twice. Um, and it's, um, in fact, I'm going to put it somewhere else, put it down there. Um, so um, it's actually, it's great to be, it's great to be kind of bringing the word of God to you guys this morning. But can I commend to you, um, Julian and Steve? And, uh, and John. They did a fantastic job um, this morning. I, I really felt like I was led into God's presence with real humility. It was really Jesus exalting, wasn't it? And it was a fabulous time. I just I enjoyed all the dancing and the singing, and it was such good fun, and I love that. So um, can I commend those guys to you? Because it's not in every church that you have such a great time of praise. And I, I go to different churches, and I see different groups of people, and you guys have got something really amazing here. Um, there's a real presence of God this morning, and um, as has been alluded to in various different words that were contributed this morning. Um, God's presence was really here and Jesus was really exalted. So um, it's a pleasure for me to be here, let alone to be able to speak to you guys. Um, So thank you so much for having me. Um, So as John was saying, um, I got married a year and a half ago and I started um, my job a year and a half ago, so it was a big time of change for me. Um, Lovely wife, Kirsty there. Um, And um, yeah, so I I moved to Canterbury in 2002, um, which is about eight, nine years ago. Um, to study. I studied at Kent University and I was doing politics and people would often ask me, are you going to be the next Tony Blair? Um, Thankfully I'm not, so (laughs) it's a good thing. Um, Yeah, and um, I graduated from there. I did a year out for City Church, so I did some work with youth and kids and things like that. And um, then I've just, I've I've stayed really, I've stayed around in Canterbury ever since. Um, Really felt God call me um, to be in Canterbury and I really felt led into my job over the last year and a half as well. Um, Steve and John have asked me just to share, just for a few minutes, before we get going and before we look at this passage, just about what I do and why, why is the church, why, why you might pray for me or um, why you've supported me in the past. So basically, um, two years ago, just before I started my job, I was teaching people how to drive. So I had my own um, driving school and it was called Night Riders because my surname's Knight and I wanted to be cool. And, um, and I, taught, I, I taught a fair few people how to drive. And one particular pupil I had was called Rob. And Rob was from South Africa. Um, he'd had no previous contact with Christians or, um, or church or anything like that. And, and just one day we were in the car and uh, I was teaching Rob. And, and I said to Rob, oh, what were you up to at the weekend? And Rob told me what he was up to. And then Rob asked me, so what, what are you doing at the weekend? And I said, well, Saturday I'm seeing some friends. Sunday I'm going to church. And I, I just thought in my mind... What would happen if I asked the simplest of questions, would you, Rob, like to come to church with me, Ollie, on Sunday? And so I just, I just asked him, would you like to come to church on Sunday? And he said, yeah. And I said, are you sure? And he's like, 
yes, I'm sure, I'd like to come with you. He came along to church on Sunday, um, through no brilliant work of myself, I just asked him a question. He responded to the gospel on, on the Sunday and became a Christian. And I thought, man, if, if God has given us this amazing message, this amazing hope of Jesus, and if it's as simple to share with people as that can be, then I want to be doing this more. It gave me a real appetite for wanting to share Jesus. Just that one really short, simple question made such an amazing difference in his life. And God completely changed his life. Obviously, bear in mind God's sovereignty, but that was an amazing day, amazing, amazing time. So I I got offered this job working for UCCF a few months later, and I I went for it, I I took it. And basically, my, my job is a student evangelist, I guess. So I'm, I'm, I'm a student worker, so I work with students at the different universities in Kent. So I work with Kent Uni, Christchurch University, and UCA, which is the art university in Canterbury. So I'm, I'm mainly based in Canterbury. But it's, it's great because I'm basically kind of mentoring and, and getting alongside the students that lead the Christian unions on campus. So as I see it, and this is like the, the vision for the mission, is that every student who comes to university in Kent would be given a chance to hear and to respond to the gospel message of Jesus. And that's quite a big vision. That's quite a big thing. We have thousands and thousands of students that come to university in Kent. So it's a big task. But I'm really excited about the way that God's used lots of different students who are Christians in this county to tell people the most amazing news, which we know is Jesus. And um, so what do I do on a day-to-day level? Um, So I I meet up with students. I I encourage them to think um, for Jesus and speak for Jesus um, at their universities. Um, I I do Bible study with them. Um, I do some talks sometimes to encourage them Um, and and, and things like that. It's it's great to be mentoring students who are really passionate um, about the gospel. Um, yeah, so as John said also, you guys support me. Um, you gave a contribution to the work that I do. And basically every year I, I have to raise £6,000 a year to keep my job um, funded and to keep my post funded. And it was a big kind of, it was a scary thing. I was getting married, so I was planning the wedding, and I had to raise this money. And I was thinking, God, God I, I don't know where it's going to come from. But amazingly, just after a few weeks of being back from honeymoon, um, the money started coming in and, and God really, really blessed um, and provided for me um, incredibly. So um, I was really thrilled at that. Yeah. So also, as John said, at university, it can be a real unique time to reach people with the gospel. So I don't know how many of you guys um, went to college, university. Um, I, I know that when I was at university, quite a lot of people around me were thinking through the big ideas of life. We're thinking through the big questions. We're asking different people around them, what is the meaning of life? What does happen to you when you die? Is there just one way to eternal life? Lots of people are asking the big questions. Also, lots of people at university go through tough times. Sometimes people think university, it's all about you know, clubbing in the evening and then lots of lions and going to one hour of a lecture each week and it's, you know, it's a hard life. But actually, loads of people at university go through testing times. There was a survey out recently which showed that a third of university students suffer some kind of um, mental disorder throughout their university um, time. So whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, um, whatever it is, I really believe that the gospel message is the only answer to those people who are going through tough times. Amen? Amen. So I really believe that Jesus is the answer um, to what people are searching for and also to the problems that people are facing at uni. So I guess in a nutshell, that's why I'm doing the job um, that I'm doing. Um, 
so basically, it, I often get asked the question, is what you're doing supporting the Christian unions, is that kind of not really a church-based thing? How I view things is that people, students from different local churches, all gather together from their local churches on campus to do evangelism, to show Jesus to people on campus where churches wouldn't naturally have access. Then people become Christians, and then the new Christians are planted into the local churches. So I believe that the local church is essential in this whole process. And also, people like Terry Virgo have had great links with UCCF in the last few years. He's come to speak at some of our student conferences. And there's just been amazing links between UCCF and New Frontiers. Um, I I really praise God for that, actually, because I think through that, UCCF have got this real big heart for the local church that New Frontiers has. So um, that's something to be really thankful for. Um, during, um, so during this, um, during this talk this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew 5. And I really want to share with you guys some of the interesting stories that have happened um, uh, in, in my life and to the students who I've been working with over the last year and a half. So I hope that can encourage you guys in some way. I know you're um, a few miles away from Canterbury, but I'm hoping these stories that I share about students' lives being transformed by the gospel will have relevance to you guys because A, we all believe in Jesus, <laughs> and B, you're not a million miles away from what's happening in Canterbury. So, um, yeah, praise God for that. Brilliant. So, this morning, we're going to be carrying on in your series um, looking at the book of Matthew, which is Matthew's account of what happened um, to Jesus and Jesus' life. And as we saw um, in that amazing video with American Jesus talking like this, um, we're going to be looking, and Jesus wasn't actually American, I'll just, I'll just put that out. Although, he does have a very, although he does, although he does have a very cool voice, doesn't he? And, and Fred also has a very cool voice. So I quite, quite like that. It's something very warm and very amazing about hearing an American voice. So, um, yeah. My main aim this morning is to show you that by being Christians, you are naturally different, you are naturally distinctive from the world around you. And actually, because of your difference, you can make a real difference in the world around you. That's my main aim. It's simple. It really is. I'm a simple guy. That's a simple aim. To show you guys that by being Christians, you can make a difference by being and living in a different way to the world around you. And maybe if you're not a Christian here today, maybe if you're a guest today, it's my aim to show you that the Jesus that we look at in the Bible is the same Jesus that can come into your life today and the same Jesus that can turn your life around and make your life a life of hope, a life of joy, and a life of completeness. So let's read out the, the particular bit of the passage which we're going to be concentrating on today. Um, it's from Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. It's the bit about salt and light, and I'm going to be reading that out from the ESV. So Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're going to be looking at three questions this morning. First question is this, who was Jesus speaking to? Second question is, why does, Paul, uh, why does Jesus sorry, talk about salt? And third question is, how can we let our light shine? I need God's help. 
So I think it's a good idea to pray. So let's, um, let's pray and just ask God to speak to us um, really powerfully this morning. Lord God, I thank you so much for what an amazing morning we've had so far. I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that we've been able to praise you and exalt you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the name above every single other name. I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you're exalted, that you came down to live an incredible and different life on this earth, that you went to the cross for our sin, that you rose again to guarantee us eternal life, and that you're now reigning in glory in heaven. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for your majesty and your power. And I do pray that you'd help us today just understand what you're saying in this passage, understand what it means for our lives, Lord Jesus, and that we'd be focused with giving you glory and giving you honour through how we live our lives. Holy Spirit, I do pray that you'd help us do that. I do just pray that anything good that I have in my mind to say would actually um, be bettered by what your word says. Lord God, thank you so much for the power in your word. We thank you so much, Lord God. Amen. 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 Brilliant. So, who was Jesus speaking to? The first question which I want to ask this morning. So, we see that in Matthew's chapters 5 to 7, Jesus is speaking to a large crowd. And you saw it on the DVD up there, and you've probably seen it in a film such as Jesus of Nazareth, and you've probably come across many of these different passages, um, many of these different verses that we'll be reading this morning. Who's it spoken to? Sometimes people think, oh, was Jesus speaking to non-believers about how to live their life and how to be a good person? Actually, Jesus was speaking to his followers and telling them how to live. I like to imagine, actually, what the disciples were probably thinking about um, before Jesus addressed them um, in the Sermon on the Mount. I like to kind of think um, in my mind, knowing what they were probably like, and what they were thinking and what they were hoping for. Jesus delivered such hard-hitting truths in this passage. He really did. The disciples were probably thinking, oh, I wonder what Jesus will say. I wonder if he'll say, blessed are those who um, can keep most of the commandments and they'll be given a yacht in the sea, they'll be given a beautiful house in the, in, in the mountains and we'll probably get a sauna thrown in as well and you'll have a nice comfortable life listening to Nazareth FM on the sofa every Sunday. Or I wonder if the disciples... Um, we're thinking, um, oh, blessed be my followers. They are the greatest people on the earth. I'm sure that they'll be rewarded um, for everything that they do good by getting lots of money. I wonder if they're thinking things like that. Actually, it couldn't be further from the truth. What Jesus said back then was shocking. And today, it still is shocking what he says. Let's have a look at some of the verses. Matthew 5, verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So Jesus isn't just saying here, about, isn't just talking about the action of murdering someone. Actually, he talks about the heart motivation. He says, actually, if you're angry with your brother, then you'll be liable to judgment. Or Matthew 5, 27, even more hard-hitting especially for guys, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in, this, in his heart. Ouch. That cuts to the core, doesn't it? Jesus points to the heart attitude. Jesus says it's not just about going and committing adultery. It's actually about what you think and where your heart's at. And in the Beatitudes, the part of scripture in the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus tells his followers some real counter-culture truths of how to live. 
They all start with blessed are they. So when the world's around, we'd look for natural leaders. We'd look for strong leaders who push everyone else to the side and try and get to the top. Actually, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the humble, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. You see how it's called counterculture? And in a Jewish, Jewish culture, sorry, that overemphasized keeping clean on the outside, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus says the outside isn't actually as important as what's going on in the inside, in the heart. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, would, would want to be respected and revered for their religiosity and their superiority. But Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So those who are wrongly treated for their faith, Jesus says, should remain faithful to him and not expect this life of being revered and respected for what you believe. Maybe that's real for some of you guys. Maybe you've come across persecution for being a Christian in your workplace. Maybe even in your family or your friendship group. But through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus places the bar of how to live your life at an extraordinary height. Imagine a high jump. Everyone familiar with a high jump at the Olympics? Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> You're awake, good. Um, so um, 1.9 metres or 2 metres would be like an Olympic level, I'm sure. And, and the athlete would have to take a long run up and try and run and try and jump over this bar. I'd probably manage 20 centimetres, but some of these athletes get up to you know, uh, 2 metres, 2 metres, 10, I think, something like that. Imagine the disciples, before Jesus has spoken the Sermon on the Mount, Imagine they're kind of thinking, oh, okay, I could probably clear, you know, 1.6, 1.7. That's the kind of bar of how to live my life, you know. Just keep the Ten Commandments, I'm sure I can do that. Imagine to the disciples' astonishment when the bar suddenly rises to 25 metres and it's there in the sky. There's no way that they can get it. There's no way that they can jump it. This is what happens. What Jesus said was shocking. What Jesus said was hard-hitting. But if Jesus' followers would have felt so daunted and so overwhelmed with how high the bar was, then why would Jesus say such things? Was it because Jesus was unfair or mean? Was it because Jesus was just really demanding? Was it because Jesus expects perfection? Actually, no. Jesus said these things in the Sermon on the Mount to get to the heart. He really did, to tackle the condition of the human heart. It wasn't just concentrating on actions, like the Ten Commandments made clear. It was looking deeper. It was looking at the heart. Even the most religious people of the day, the Pharisees, could appear to have it all sorted on the outside. Actually, take a look into their heart, Jesus says. It might not all be going on perfectly there. Jesus says these really hard-hitting things to get to the human heart. Jesus' desire was that people would love him more. Jesus' desire here today is that we'd grow to love him more. And therefore, our lives would be radically different from every other person around us in the world. We'd be different because we've been chosen by him, because our hearts would desire lives like he says we could live. Does this mean we can't be forgiven If we get angry, does this mean that we aren't a Christian if we think lustfully? No, because the cross of Christ beautifully covers all our sin. 
And grace teaches us that we don't need to go from day to day thinking, oh, will God love me if I do this? Will God not love me anymore if I do that? Actually, no, we've been saved into a loving relationship that can never change. But living a life, like Jesus says in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, would be such an incredibly different life to the life that people live on this earth, wouldn't it? If the disciples lived such a different, distinctive life, if they hungered and thirsted for righteousness, if they became pure in heart, if they loved their enemies, then what kind of difference would they make to the society around them? If we today, if we became pure in heart, if, we, if our hearts became more aligned to God's and if we desire purity and holiness above everything else, if we loved our enemies, if we turned the other cheek when people slapped us around the face, then what kind of difference would we make in Herne Bay? What kind of difference would I make in Canterbury? We'd make a big difference by being different. And these Beatitudes point beautifully to the passage that we're looking at today, verses 13 to 16. Jesus tells us why he set the bar so high. It's because we can be the salt of the earth and we can be lights in this world. Is it because Jesus wants us to be more religious? No, it's not. (laughs) Don't worry, it's not. Is it because Jesus wants us to make ourselves proud that we're good Christians? Definitely isn't that. Is it because Jesus wants to make us an attractive people? Yeah. And is it because Jesus desires us to give glory to God for our lives? Yeah, it is. Who was Jesus talking to? Jesus was talking to you and to me. Let's have a look secondly, in the second point today. Why does Jesus talk about salt? In the build-up to me and Kirsty getting married, um, it was a very exciting time because I was thinking a lot about being married, getting to share life together with her, getting to be with her all the time. And there were various different things that we were planning. And for those of you that have been um, that, that, that have got married, I'm sure you've had to um, kind of work all these things through, like all the invitations being sent out and who do you invite, who do you not invite, and things like that. And I think the most exciting time leading up to the wedding, um, well, one of the most exciting times, um, was when we went around Debenhams and we were given these little scanners and we got to scan all the different gifts that we wanted to put on our gift list. And it fascinated me because I got this little scanner. I got to go around Debenhams and just scan lots of different products that me and Kirsty could have um, when we got married. It's amazing. You don't get to do that every day, do you? And, um, and I, she was going around and she was scanning the very practical things like toasters and kettles and hoovers. And she was being very sensible. And then there was me racing around trying to scan random bizarre things like, uh, I think, did we get a rabbit-shaped um, jelly mould and things like that? <laughs> just some really, really strange things, some really bizarre things, as you do. But I think one of the most exciting things um, that I got given um, and that we chose on the day, and uh, I expect a, an amazing gasp of amazement in a second, um, was... An incredible Marco Pierre White electric salt grinder. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And this incredible salt grinder was sitting, kind of gleaming on the shelf. And it was kind of saying, buy me, buy me. And we went up and we scanned it. I mean, it looks amazing. And, um, and you get to use it. And it not only grinds your salt, but it also illuminates the plate that's underneath it. So incredible. So if you're, if you're eating in the pitch black, then it's ideal. So uh, I'll give you a demonstration. Absolutely amazing. The light on this hasn't worked, so I actually brought the pepper one as well. And the pepper one still does light up. 
Oh, incredible. Yeah. I don't really know what to do with this. <laughs> Great. So this was sitting on the shelf. We got it, and we loved it. And I love salt. I don't know about you guys, but I like salt on nearly everything I eat. Why? Because salt brings flavour. Whether it's my fry up in the morning, or whether it's um, not every morning, or whether <laughs> or whether it's my spaghetti bolognese in the evening, um, I, I always want salt on things because it brings out the flavour. And you see, Jesus says to us in verse 13, "You are the salt of the earth." And one of the things, one of the properties of salt, one of the good, useful things about salt is that it brings flavour to things it comes into contact with. Actually, we're going to look at four uses of salt. And this first one is that salt flavours. You see, just as I want as much flavour on my food as possible, without having (laughs) heart problems, actually, I look to salt because it brings amazing things out of the food that you eat. And Jesus says to us as his followers... Actually, we can be like this to the world around us. We can bring flavour to society around us. We can bring love where there's hate. We can bring joy where there's tension. So you might be walking down the road in, in Herne Bay and you might be popping into a newsagent and you might talk to the newsagent for a few minutes and then you might leave the shop. You might walk up the road and you might say hi to somebody who's doing some gardening and then you might call in to a friend's house and, and have some afternoon tea. And then, if you're civilised, and then you might return home at the end of the day. And you might have thought, I haven't really made any difference in my day. But just by being a Christian, by flavouring society around you, actually, you will have made a difference. Maybe it was because of your meekness, which is one of the Beatitudes, which means gentleness and humility. Maybe your meekness was showed that when you are in the newsagents, when you were talking to the newsagent, actually you weren't always wanting to push your agenda. You weren't always wanting to speak of yourself and build yourself up. Actually, in your selfless attitude, you're wanting to ask him how his week's been. You're wanting to ask him how business is going. You're wanting to ask him how his family was. Actually, you were putting his interests before your own. Maybe when you're walking and maybe when you're chatting to the gardener, I don't know if you do that, chatting to the gardener in a garden somewhere in Hanbei, maybe your merciful attitude came through. Maybe it was the fact that you'd forgiven one of your friends for saying something that actually really stayed with you and really hurt you. That's one of the Beatitudes as well, a merciful attitude. Or maybe it was your rejoicing, even though you were going through a time of suffering and pain. Maybe friends around you were quite ill, or maybe you'd suffered a family death recently, and maybe your family had been really affected. And actually, when you had afternoon tea with your group of friends, maybe they saw your rejoicing through suffering was so different to how everyone else around them had found it, and how everyone else around them had been affected. C.S. Lewis says this, The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty... Their completeness. But the best argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are sombre and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. Ouch. (laughs) That's quite hard-hitting, isn't it? And I'm sure we've all come across Christians that have really inspired us in our walk with God. I know I have. Men and women of God that you've just thought, oh, if I could be like them, if I could have their devotional life, if I could have their prayer life, I'd be sorted. But I know we've also come across Christians that have left, to be honest, quite a bad taste 
in our mouths. I went on holiday when I was little with my mum and my sister, and I think I was about eight or nine, and I decided to go into the room, into the bathroom um, and brush my teeth in the evening, and I got what I thought was toothpaste and, and put it on my toothbrush and started brushing my teeth. And it was the most awful, horrible, horrible, horrible taste on my mouth. And I looked down at the toothpaste holder. It actually said hair removal cream. <laughs> and it was absolutely horrendous. I had to run into the kitchen. I had to get a glass of water, try and swig it all around my, my mouth and spit it out. And then I think I drank about 10 cups of tea just to try and get this awful taste out of my mouth. And our challenge is, what kind of taste do we leave in people's mouths that we meet day to day? Just in that example of visiting various different places, what kind of taste do we leave in people's mouths? Do we leave a good taste or do we leave a bad taste like that hair removal cream? So salt flavours. Salt also preserves. In ancient times, um, they wouldn't just have a Bosch or Indesect great big fridge freezer in their kitchens. In fact, they'd have a darkened room where they place food, maybe meat. And one of salt's uses was to be coated around the meat to keep it fresh to stop it from going off. And actually, Jesus says to his followers, Jesus says to you and to me, that we can help preserve society by being different, and we can stop society from decaying around us. An author, Tim Keller, says, being a Christian is the right way to be human. And Jesus says to us that we are salty, so we can stop the world from decaying, and we can redeem culture. What does this mean? This means that Christianity can have this amazing influence in society and actually stop society from turning bad. I've got a friend called Tom, and Tom works as a primary school teacher down in Canterbury. And Tom's a friend from church. A few years ago, Tom um, was a teacher assistant there, and then he was trained to be a teacher, and then he was given the responsibility of being key stage two manager, which is quite a big deal for somebody who's 25. And now he's being fast-tracked to being a head teacher, and last year, he won an award for being Canterbury Teacher of the Year. But why did he get this? It's because the school saw something different in Tom. They saw his integrity. Where other teachers weren't wanting to do some of the menial jobs that were around, Tom just did it. <laughs> his servant heart, he just did it. When some teachers found it hard to deal with some of the problem kids, Tom showed genuine care and genuine compassion for those kids that were hard to deal with. The school noticed something different in Tom. Tom was helping to preserve the society that he was part of. He was helping to bring Jesus to that school. Maybe you guys in your workplaces or your friendship groups or your families, I wonder whether you think about that often. I can bring Jesus and Jesus' values into the area that I'm in, into the group that I'm in. Actually, you can because Christ is in you. Amazing. So Fred Catherwood, who used to be the vice president of a small little organisation called the European Union, he said, he's also a Christian, he said this, to try to improve society is not worldliness, but love. To wash your hands of society is not love, but worldliness. Do we care about the place that we live? Do you guys have a genuine care, a genuine heart for Herne Bay? I see you do in some way. I was really, I was really pleased. Um, Christianity Explain course coming up. A brilliant way to engage with people in a local way, invite them in, share the gospel with them. It sounds fantastic. It really does. That's one way which you can show Jesus to this um, town that you live in. 
It's so good. I, I think, sorry, just getting away from this for a second. I think I've seen something really amazing, actually, in follow-up courses, so seeker courses. In the last couple of years, doing the job that I've done on campus, um, helping people think evangelistically, I've seen something really powerful in these kind of alpha courses, Christianity Explored courses. I, I think in the last year, we, we've seen... It's not many, to be honest, because there's thousands of students, but I think we've seen about 10 students come to know Jesus on seeker courses at the different unis, which is amazing. I think God's hands are really on those, so I think keep on going with them. Amazing. Okay, so we've had a look at how salt flavours, how salt preserves. Let's also now have, have a look at salt melts. Um, did you guys get stuck in the snow before Christmas um, in all the traffic? <laughs> It's absolutely crazy. One afternoon, the snow fell, and I think it created about this much snow um, in about two hours in Canterbury. And me and Kirsty were driving from one side of Canterbury to another, and what would normally take us five five minutes in the car actually took us four and a half hours. (laughs) And every time, um, when we'd be driving along, every five minutes, uh, we'd think, oh, we we should move the car in and just, you know, leave it and walk home. But every every kind of five minutes, we'd think, oh, no, we have travelled about ten centimetres, so we should keep on driving. And we kept on doing this, and it took us four and a half hours. It was so frustrating. But you know what? When it's snowed and when the roads aren't gritted, actually cars find it really impossible to keep to the roads. But salt is so useful because it melts the ice and it makes journeys possible. And Jesus says to us, as his followers, we can be like salt in this instance. When we're presented with opposition, when we're presented with hard hearts, actually the warmth... And the joy in us, thanks to Jesus, can melt those hard hearts. And Jesus says that actually, like the salt can melt, actually we can melt through the hardest of hearts. The Christian unions on campus that I work with sometimes put on events, which are called first contact events, which are things like quiz nights, um, movie nights, and um, things like open mic nights, where people come up and sing and look cool like Steve Dunn when you're playing with his guitar and, and things like that. And so when, um, when we have these kind of events, actually, um, when, when people come along, you, you generally get into conversation with, with quite a few non-Christians, which is great. And the idea is to befriend and to say, look, you know, we're running this Alpha course, would you like to come along? And I got chatting to this guy called Gary last year. And Gary had come from a Jehovah's Witness um, background. He'd been brought up in a Jehovah's Witness family. And he rebelled when he was a teenager. He tried to kind of go his own way and came to university and, and got into all sorts of different things. And I was chatting to him. And he, he, he was saying, Ollie, I've been amazed at how warm um, all you Christians have been to me tonight. And I was like, oh, okay, that, that's a good sign. <laughs> and, and, and I said to him, well, do, you, do you fancy coming along and, and seeing what we're about? We're running this course called Alpha where you can explore the claims of Jesus and you know, see why Christians are different. And he said, yeah, all right, I'll come along. Um, And he came along to Alpha. And the very first night, this will always stay with me, the very first night we were talking about the authenticity of the Bible and the claims of Jesus. And when Gary was asked, Gary, what do you think about what we've discussed tonight? What do you think about the claims of Jesus and the authenticity of Scripture? And Gary said, to be honest, I know that's got to be important in the whole equation. But the thing which I can't get away from is why has every single Christian that I've met over the last two weeks been so kind to me, been so warm towards me? It's really showed me that there must be something different about being a Christian. (laughs) 
And that's stayed with me ever since. I've been thinking, man, that's, that's right. And that's what we have to be like. We have to be different because we've been chosen. Because we should be living different lives. Gary was convinced because of our care for him, because of our warmth towards him, that there must be something true about Christianity. Are we like this to people we meet every day? Are we like this to people that we're with in our families who don't know Jesus? Are we like this to people that we bump into in the street? We need to make a difference by being different. Final use of salt. Salt is precious. Salt is quite a normal thing in our culture at the moment. But in Roman times, it was really precious. And in fact, it was so precious that sometimes slaves were traded for salt. So actually people were traded for salt. It was that precious. And before Christmas, when salt was getting low in the gritting depots, actually we realised what a precious, special commodity salt actually is. And Jesus says to his followers that they're precious as well, just as salt is. Because, because his followers can have a unique role to play in the world. So you might be thinking this morning, to be honest, all the things that we've looked at this morning, the fact that um, we can bring flavour to society, the fact that we can um, preserve society, we can melt hard hearts and we're precious. To be honest, I don't really feel like I'm doing that and I don't really feel very precious at all. Actually, we are precious because we're different. (laughs) We're precious because we've been chosen by a God of love. We're different because of our new identity. I've been going through Ephesians with some students over the last few months, and this speaks volumes about our identity in Christ. Let me read you out a few verses. It's absolutely amazing. Ephesians 1 verse 4. We've been predestined to know God. God chose us even before the foundations of the earth were laid. That's quite precious. That's quite different. (laughs) Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Before we followed Jesus, we were dead in our sin. We were spiritually dead. As Wayne Grudem says, we had no responsiveness, no inclination to want to find God. God chose us. That's why I'm a Calvinist, I think, because I don't think there's anything good about me that could have wanted to choose God or wanted to desire God. God chose us. Before we followed Jesus, we were following the ways of this world, whatever felt right we were going with. Before we followed Jesus, we were following the passions of our flesh. But then the most amazing change, Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 7, that even when we were dead in our sins, by God's rich love and mercy... He made us alive in Christ. He took our dead bodies, he breathed his life into them, and our new lives, we've been made alive. We're precious because God chose us. Is it down to us? Is it down to us making ourselves precious? No, it's not. (laughs) It definitely isn't. We find the answer in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. It's by grace you've been saved. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, so that no one may boast. We can't boast about choosing God because it was God's work in us. God chose us. This is the reason why we're precious. This is the reason why we're the salt of the earth. Because God chose us. How else are we salty? We're salty because we've been given new hearts. In Ezekiel 36, um, it's talked about God giving, um, taking out a heart of, of stone and giving a heart of flesh. 
And actually, our hearts have been changed. Instead of desiring the ways of this world, instead of desiring fame and fortune um, and things like that, actually, we can desire now things of God. As it says in the Beatitudes, purity of heart, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. If our hearts desire purity and righteousness, then we'll be so different to people around us. When I was praying about this morning, I just felt that I had this picture from God about a pearl. Um, and you know pearls are kind of kept in those cases or um, they're kept in those shells in the sea. And I just, I just felt that almost when, when a pearl is in the sea, when it's in that shell at the bottom of the ocean, it's not particularly precious because it's just on its own. It's kind of covered with sand. But actually, it becomes precious when it's chosen, when it's pulled up from the bottom of the ocean, when it's put on a beautiful necklace. Actually, I felt that was... That was a word for us today, that actually before God, before we were alive in Christ, before we came to know God, actually we weren't really that precious. But being chosen by God, by being made alive in Christ, we're precious, we're distinctive, we're salty. After telling us we're the salt of the earth, Jesus gives us a warning in Matthew 5, verse 13. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What does Jesus mean here? I think it's a, it's a call to keep our hearts focused and to keep our lives distinct and different. It's not about compromising on what we know to be true. It's about wanting to live to the glory of God. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our hearts set on Jesus. We need to keep salty. We need to keep different. I think we've run out of time. I just want to share a story with you just to finish. Um, I was going to go on to talk about how we can let our light shine. And I think my main point was that in order to keep our light shining, we can't hide the light underneath the basket. Jesus points that out in verse 15. We can't just keep our light underneath the basket. We need to let it illuminate the room. The point that I was trying to make from that is that we need to be out there in the world. Not becoming like the world, but we need to be out there in the world, shining brightly for God. Think about the things that you enjoy. Think about things like dinner parties, afternoon tea, uh, walks on the beach, don't know, skydiving, (laughs) things that you really enjoy. And do that with your friends that don't know Jesus. We need to be living as Christians, brightly shining in the world, But how can we brightly shine if we're just in our Christian friendship group all the time? Something which I'm challenged with. Often my nights are busy with Christian meetings, Monday night worship team practice, Tuesday night Christian union, Wednesday night maybe alpha, Thursday night small group. Something which God's really challenging me on. Actually, you need to get out there. You need to be spending time with non-Christian friends. Even if it's something like joining society, or maybe like joining a photography society, joining something that you're passionate about. One final story. Um, a guy called Stefan arrived at university at Christchurch as an atheist. And he came um, to an Alpha course. He was dragged along by one of his friends, I think. And he came along to this Alpha course, and he was adamant that nothing was true and that he could disprove everything by probably listening to lots of Richard Dawkins and then regurgitating that. <laughs> and, um, and one night, Stefan said to his Alpha small group leaders, if God is good and if God is loving, then how come my friend 
let's call him Craig. How come my friend Craig has been ill for the past two or three months and hasn't been able to come to any lectures or any seminars at university? And the Alpha Group leader says, to be honest, we don't really know all the ways of the world and all the ways of God. But actually what we do know is that we can pray into this situation and see what God does. We're not expecting miracles every time, but we can pray because we know that God can answer prayer. And they pray. They pray for Stefan's friend Craig. And the very next day, Stefan goes into his lecture hall. And who does he see next to him who's recovered after three months of being seriously ill? His friend Craig. Stefan rushes out. He goes back to his Alpha small group leaders and says, how can I not believe in this God of love and this miraculous God that you prayed to who's healed my friends? I need to become a Christian. And Stefan becomes a Christian. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. So we need to be distinctive. We need to live lives that are salty. And we need to be shining brightly. But also remember, God's a God of the miraculous. And as Fred shared earlier on, um, he felt a real desire from God to pray for people, maybe with sickness. And I, I'd, love, I'd, love for, I'd love for that to happen. And also, I wanted to pray for you guys who are maybe feeling that you want to be more salty and that you want to be light in this community that you're in. Because it's absolutely amazing being with you guys this morning and seeing your passion for Jesus. And this passion for Jesus, these changed lives that I'm, I'm seeing before me now, going out into the community, seeing lives changed, people becoming Christians in Hern Bay, the church growing so you can't fit any more chairs in the building. Like, that's what I'd like <laughs> for you guys. I really would. Should we, um, should we pray together? I don't know how the, I don't know how the guys want to do this, um, but um, <laughs> just go with the flow. <laughs> We've got a couple of minutes. Excellent. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yep, so far, yeah, I'll wrap it up in prayer. Um, as John said, if you want to go through um, coffee, um, or me and some guys um, that I brought up with me, we'd love to, love to pray for you up here. Um, just to reiterate, I'm not an expert on these things. I'm not an expert in every area of evangelism, but I've just got a heart for Jesus, and I've got a heart to see him made known to places where we live. Let's pray. Um, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you call us to be salt and light. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you've called us to be different. You've called us to be radically different from the world that we're in because we're in Christ. We've been transformed by the power of your gospel, Lord God, and we're now living lives which can be salty and which can be bright and which can shine lightly to the environment that we're in, to the society around us. And I do pray, Lord Jesus, that you give us a real heart to see people come to know you, not based on a, on a personal tally chart or a record for ourselves that we can boast about, but actually so that you would be glorified, Lord Jesus. I, I, I dare to dream big dreams that this church would grow, that we'd see people saved, we'd see um, no more room for people to come in. Actually, we'd have to go to multiple meetings in the morning, Lord Jesus, that we'd see so many people on that Christianity Explained course, Lord Jesus. And I do pray that you'd mobilize this church, that this church would be able to go out into the community that they're in, this church would be able to show Jesus, would be able to share Jesus's um, amazing, amazing incredible promises with this town that they're in, Lord Jesus. Please, would you, would you let this happen? By your spirit, would you, would you come and would you um, renew faith? Would you come and would you bring fresh faith for these people here this morning? Would you come and would you, um, would you, would you really envision us as to what we can see happen in this town? Lord Jesus, we're reliant upon you. Lord Jesus, not our fancy words, but the power of God. 
Please, Lord God. We love you so much, Lord Jesus. Love you so much, Lord. Amen. 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 It's been such a privilege speaking to you guys today. I'm so sorry I've overran. And I'm so sorry that um, I didn't get through what I wanted to say. <laughs> but it's been so good being with you guys. I've been so encouraged um, worshipping with you all. And um, no, thank no you. No need for apologies. The video is quite...